Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watts Podcast, where we keep Watts on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of January 21st through the 23rd, 2022. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Here in New York City, we're seeing COVID positivity rates decline to where they were just before Omicron wave started picking up, uh, which matches up with the predictions that, you know, this wave would be peaking toward the end of January. So super helpful and excited to be able to get back to theaters soon, hopefully. Um, I actually caught Nightmare Alley in theaters, you know, pretty abandoned theater, um, but it was a special black and white version, which I absolutely loved. Uh, more on that in the later. Uh, in the meantime, pretty quick episode, not a lot of headlines to go over. So let's just hop straight into those box office numbers, shall we? In first place, we have the return of Spider-Man No Way Home to first place with a stellar 30% drop in Weekend 6, dropping four to $14 million in 3,705 theaters, per theater average, 3,780. Current running domestic total so far is $720 million, with another $970 million abroad, putting at about $169 uh, 1.69 billion worldwide. Uh, still, sort of Avatar's 100 and se- or 760 million domestic, but it looks more and more likely that with these sub 40% drops, uh, it should be able to leg it out and get there by the end of its run. Uh, worldwide, it's pushed pa- past The Lion King's 1.654 billion total and Jurassic Port's 1.669 billion worldwide for the number six all time ranking. The next benchmark to beat worldwide would be Avengers Infinity War, $2.048 billion. Uh, and The Force Awakens 2.064 billion, which no one I think would have expected it to get past 1.7 billion without China, so I think anything is possible at this point. A number two, we have Scream dropping a pretty steep 59%, though for horror films, I guess that's kind of expected, uh, with a 12.2 million total in 3,666 theaters, per theater average of $3,332. A cumulative commu- domestic total sits at fi- $5.51 million, uh, with another $17.9 million abroad, putting at just about $69 nice, uh, million dollars worldwide or so. Uh, this is the steepest drop of the Scream franchise, though, again, the box office has kind of evolved since the first film came out in 1996 um, and even the most recent drop in 2011 of Scream 4 was a comparable 62% drop um, so actually I think Scream 4 actually had a deeper, steeper drop but still uh, this is right up there uh, third place goes to Sing 2 with a typical family-friendly hold of about 28% in Weekend 5 uh, to $5.7 million in 3,434 theaters per theater average of $16.75. The metric total now sits at $128.4 million, another $112 million. 0.6 million worldwide. Cumulative total worldwide is 241 million, which I think at a point can be considered a success. It's the highest grossing animated film post-pandemic for whatever that's worth. Uh, fourth place, we have a brand new film in Redeeming Love, a Christian Western romance film set in Gold Rush, California. Now, despite them not hitting the mainstream, Christian films still tend to have a dedicated audience, um, as shown by Redeeming Love breaking into the top five with $3.5 million in 1903 theaters for a pretty solid for you know this week per theater average of 1855, uh, with a solid B plus average on cinema score, despite an 11% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Now that over outperforms the 2.8 million box office pros had forecast for this weekend so while it may drop off next week still i think a you know okay performance here 
Uh, fifth place goes to The Kingsman in Weekend 5, making $1.78 million in uh, 2,315 theaters, a 20% drop uh, with a per theater average of $770. Um, cumulative total is $31.5 million domestic, another $73.8 million worldwide for a running total of about $105 million lifetime. Probably breaks even on production, but probably not on marketing and advertising at this point. Uh, outside the top five, there's a wild story I just have to mention for you guys. So I mentioned a few episodes back, but we have the film The King's Daughter from Gravitas Ventures, uh, who they didn't produce the film, they're just distributing it, but more on that in a second. Um, it's an action-adventure fil- fantasy film involving mermaids and starring Prince Bro- Pierce Brosnan as an immortal Louis XIV. Um, that's not the weird part. Uh, this film was, again, filmed all the way back in 2014, shooting on location at the Castle of Versailles in Paris uh, with an intended release date of 2015 by Paris. Paramount. However, three weeks before the release date, the film was delayed indefinitely, supposedly for special effects work. Um, it lingered in release hell until 2020 when Arclight Films supposedly picked it up for distribution, but then it got hot potato passed on to the aforementioned Gravitas Ventures for this eventual release. Now, if you've been keeping track, that's nearly seven years between the intended release date and the actual release. Now, that's longer than the number of delays the New Mutants had between completing principal photography and its release. Not the longest difference between those films, but still pretty unusual for a film to be completed and sitting on the shelf for this long. Generally, the, where films kind of get hung up is in the pre-production part of it. Now, to put this seven-year period in, in perspective, lead actress Kaya Scodelario, who also has since appeared in Maze Runner films, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Extreme Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, and Crawl and the Doomed Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City uh, last year, um, since filming The King's Daughter, uh, C met and started dating fellow actor Benjamin Walker on the set of King's Daughter. Uh, They recently just celebrated their sixth wedding anniversary, and they welcomed their second child into the world uh, this past December. So this one has definitely been sitting on this cell for a super long long time with that. Uh, perspective. Uh, turns out for pretty good reason, the film opened to less than a million dollars, only 723000 in 2,170 theaters for a per theater average of $333. Uh, that's definitely not going to be a success, but will definitely be an odd trivia question at some point in the future. Now, aside from that, uh, you know, anime film Bell dropped a pretty steep 64% in its second weekend to uh, its release in about 1,300 theaters. You know, pretty sad for anime fans all around uh, and doesn't bode well for its Oscar chances. Uh, Matrix Resurrections lost another 700 theaters down to only about 1,000 or so. Uh, meanwhile, on the specialty circuit, uh, some fil- some of the platform films are getting more theaters slowly. Uh, Parallel Mothers, another 62 theaters to get up to 111 total. Per theater average, 1508. Uh, Drive My Car added another 31 up to 96 per theater average 975 and then flee added another 35 theaters to its existing two for per theater average of 984 uh, overall, total box office this weekend dipped down to 50, $45.7 million total for the weekend. Uh, it does not look like there's going to be much better this coming weekend, with no wide releases coming out this weekend uh, since Sony moved Morbius back to April. Uh, the most interesting film looks like a limited document release about GameStop Wall Street bets phenomenon last year uh, called GameStop Rise of the Players, which is certainly a film coming out. Uh, the next wide release looks to be Jackass Forever and Moonfall February 4th, Moonfall getting an IMAX release. Uh, box office has them forecasted for Jackass at 23 to 33 million dollars and Moonfall at 8 to 15 million opening weekend. 
Looking abroad, not too much interesting here. Uh, probably the biggest story beyond the aforementioned No Way Home success is the release of Oscar's contender, Belfast, in the United Kingdom and Ireland, with, which is notable given that the film does take place around Northern Ireland during a conflict between uh, Irish and uh, British forces known as the Troubles in the 1960s. Uh, it narrowly lost the top spot in its opening weekend uh, to No Way Home, but a very small difference, No Way Home had uh, 2.33 million pounds, uh, while Belfast opened to 2.31 million pounds. Currently, it sits at 87.8 million pounds locally at number 7 uh, all-time. This is No Way Home, uh, spin within spinning distance of Endgame's 88.7 million pounds, uh, with a one-way to go as high as potentially No Time to Die's 96.6 million at number 3 all-time. Uh, also, Dune ended up getting coming back to the UK IMAX theaters this past weekend. Worldwide total sits at $398.2 million, with an eventual Best Picture one likely putting it over that $400 million mark. Over in Japan, uh, Dune, uh, you know, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home's reception has been somewhat muted by J Jujutsu Kaisen Zero's continued dominance with 78 million US dollars to date. Uh, notably, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero had its North American release date confirmed for March 18 later this year uh, in at least 1,500 theaters here. A bit sort of Demon Slayer 1,600 theaters its opening weekend, um, but we'll able to, we'll see if uh, Jujutsu Kaisen will be able to get close to the 22 million opening for Demon Slayer. Uh, also, in international news. Uh, Ontario has announced that they will reopen their theaters at 50% capacity starting January 31st, but no concession sales until February 21st. Moving over to China, Matrix Resurrections, as predicted, fell hard, dropping 76% to 6th place this weekend. Um, Keanu Reeves also apparently was announced for the Tibet House U.S. Benefit Concert, which led to some Chinese nationalists calling for a further boycott of Mat the Matrix sequel. So I think that would maybe add, it, add dead in the water with 11.4 million total to date. Uh, somehow, Paw Patrol is hung in there better, dropping only 41%. Um, and Encanto hangs in there at number 7 with only an 18% drop. I won't bother going into exact numbers for the actual top five films, which are all local films as we've talked about before. A top film made 5.2 million US dollars this week. Um, the lack of new releases probably has to do with the Lunar New Year coming next Tuesday and no one wanting to be cut off by them. Um, at the very least, though, we'll have something uh, big to talk about next weekend, um, or if not next weekend, the weekend after. Uh, currently, most cities are still only at 75% capacity, though aggressive lockdowns are still in place ahead of the Beijing Winter Olympics next week as well. Uh, in 2021, the Lunar New Year total was at 1.2 billion uh, over the week-long period from February 11th through the 17th, which actually was an increase over the 2019 pre-pandemic numbers. Obviously, in 2020, the, the, the pandemic shutting down Lunar New Year movies uh, entirely. Uh, we'll see if this year continues this trend with one of the eight films this weekend matching uh, the overall performance of High Mom or Detective uh, Chinatown 3. Uh, my bet would be Battle of Late Cheng Jin 2, but we'll see. Um, also, another odd release coming to China. While it looks like No Way Home is never going to get a China release at this point, uh, Woody Allen's 2018 rom-com, A Rainy Day in New York, will be getting a, a February 25th release date. Now, that film got a 47% here on Rotten Tomatoes and actually had its release overall paused here in the States right before it came out uh, in 2018 due to allegations from the Me Too movement against Woody Al the director Woody Allen, causing Amazon to sell the film and for function being uh, unmarketable, and Allen responding by suing the studio for breach of contact, which was eventually settled out of court. 
uh, 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 A Rainy Day in New York eventually had its worldwide debut in Poland of all places in 2019 uh, with eventually a limited US release in October 2020 during the height of the pandemic of course uh, making only about $2,744 domestically in six theaters that's right less than $3,000 total Uh, overseas and made a little bit more at 18 million total but still definitely a bizarre choice for China a film for China to approve Um, the only other Hollywood film currently on the docket in China is Death on the Nile for February 25th release date now looking at other headlines you know I don't know uh, how I did do this prior, but I did find an article listing out the major movie studios in order of how much they made last year. So I figured it'd be in- useful information to go over to sort of see where the power of Hollywood currently lives. Uh, note these are for only domestic box office. In first place, as expected, Disney was 25.5% of the total market at $1.17 billion, with their highest grossing film being uh, Sang-Chi. Now, that's not Spider-Man because that film goes to Sony, uh, which came in number two with $1.06 billion, um, or about 23.1% of the market. Again, the nearly 70% of that coming from Spider-Man No Way Home, making $702 million and counting. Uh, number three went to Universal, dropping down to 15.6 million percent of the market, or 714.2 million dollars. Led by uh, F9, the Fast Saga at 173 million dollars. Uh, fourth place went to Warner Brothers, with all of their films coming out on HBO Max. Um, they made 666. Uh, point eight million dollars for about fourteen point five percent of the market, with Dune making a hundred and seven point three million domestic as their top grossing film. Uh, fifth does not go to the last of the quote-unquote big five studios, uh, but rather to United Artists MGM uh, with $323.3 million or 7.05% uh, of the market, about half of that going to No Time to Die with $160.8 million US dollars. Paramount, the bit last big five film, comes in at number six with $278.1 million or 6.07% of the market, uh, mostly due uh, to $160 million from Acquired Place Part 2. And then bringing up the last place of the major studios is Lionsgate at a, a tiny 2.24% of the market or about $102.6 million led by Hitman Wife's Bodyguard $38 million uh, take. Now, looking ahead, you know, we do have some new movie dates lined up. Uh, Mission Impossible 7 and 8 were both delayed about a year. Mission Impossible 7 from September 30th of this year back to uh, July 14, 2023. And then Mission Impossible 8 uh, moving from July 7, 2023. Of course, it doesn't make sense to have it come out before Mission Impossible 7. Uh, moving back to this June 28th, 2024. Now, allegedly, according to Paramount, this is due to the, the pandemic situation, but the fact that they're not moving Tom Cruise's other Paramount film Top Gun uh, Maverick off of its May 27th release date of this year seems a little bit odd uh, to make that claim. I think it might be more likely due to them wanting to space out Tom Cruise films, maybe the beef of the 2023 roster, or perhaps due to uh, needing more time for Mission Impossible 8, which I think they don't want to be too far away from Mission Impossible 7. They want it to be kind of a one-two hit, kind of like uh, Infinity War Endgame or other two-part finales like I think they're planning with the Fast Saga. Uh, if that's the case, I could see you know Warner Brothers trying to move their uh, Flash film up off of their November weekend to take this uh, September release date, uh, which is now M. I'm assuming they can get the visual effects done in time and then moving Aquaman 2 off of this December date uh, so it doesn't have to compete directly against another water-based film Avatar 2. 
Now, related to Tom Cruise, apparently he's still all systems go for trying to get that space studio up and running, uh, with the producers of his space film working with Houston-based space company Axiom to develop a module to attach to the International Space Station in 2024. Too late for Mission Impossible 8 unless we get further delays. Um, that is not to be confused with a second space studio by uh, Space Corp 11 and Voyager Space Company, Nanorax, um, to be operational in 2027. So definitely a bit of a space race going on there. Uh, moving over to the streaming side of things. Uh, Netflix is planning on releasing Knives Out 2 sometime later this year uh, with a potential fall film festival release and theatrical release planned. Um, also coming that quarter is Guillermo del Toro's stop-motion animated Pinocchio movie, not to be confused with Roger Zemeckis' live-action Pinocchio film on Disney+, Plus. also later this year, uh, 2022. Uh, Netflix also announced a new Wallace and Gromit film in the works for 2023 al alongside Chicken Run 2, also set to come out next year as well. They also announced a plan to release 25 Korean films and series this year after the success of Squid Game. However, in the short term, Netflix failed to live up to Wall Street's expectations, adding only 8.3, only 8.3 million users last quarter, below the expectations of 8.5 million users. Now, also in streaming, looking at the top 15 streaming films of 2021, according to Nielsen, the top film of the year was Luca, uh, you know, from Disney Plus, the uh, Pixar-only release, uh, followed by Moana, Raya the Last Dragon, Frozen 2, and then Red Notice from Netflix in the top five. Uh, Disney had 11 of the top 15, with Netflix having three, uh, Red Notice, Missile Voices, The Machines, and We Can Be Heroes, and then Amazon having only one, uh, The Tomorrow War. Uh, of the premier access release, uh, releases, aside from the aforementioned Raya, uh, Cruella was the next highest at number 8, with Jungle Cruise at 10 and Black Widow at 11. Um, I think this kind of points to definitely uh, kids being a major driver for the streaming market at this point, uh, with Disney Plus and, you know, all the anime films, you know, Luca, Moana, Raya, Frozen 2, all kind of like living near the top. Uh, moving to the film festival side of things, we do have Sundance Film Festival this past week and the, into this coming week. So, you know, I'm keeping an eye out for any big deals like last year's Coda or the year prior's Palm Springs. Nothing huge yet in that, you know, uh, seven-figure um, or eight-figure range. Um, you know, Coda making $25 million um, uh, for, the, for the producers uh, when it was picked up by Apple. Um, but I have seen buzzings of Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, starring Emma Thompson getting bought up by Searchlight. Um, Cha-Cha Real Smooth starring Dakota Johnson potentially going to Apple, uh, RLJE picking up a Karen Gillan film Duel, and then Sony signing a deal for Bill, the Bill Nighy film Living. Um, we'll see if there's more deals coming up next week. Now, other than that, there's not too much else to report. You know, there's some executive something over at Disney to, you know, reprioritize streaming once again for them in 2022 with a focus on international growth and content development. Um, the Batman, you know, coming in March is apparently confirmed to be three hours long. Uh, so, you know, that's going to be pretty ambitious to try to sit through, make sure you don't drink a lot of uh, soda uh, while, while watching that one. Um, and then the New York, speaking of drinking stuff, uh, the New York State Liquor Authority is apparently going to be allowing beer and wine to be sold at concession stands and brought into theaters as opposed to either drinking them at the bar before going in or having them brought to you into the a la Allenwood Draft House, uh, which should, you know, definitely, I think, help out, uh, again, movie theaters in the New York State and especially New York City here, uh, just have another stream of revenue. Anyway, as I mentioned, I saw the film for what I've been watching, uh, Nightmare Alley, this past weekend. Again, mostly it's part for the Oscars Death Race uh, podcast that I do. Normally, I'd point you to the podcast for my thoughts on it, but um, I actually kind of covered it last week with my friend Alex, or rather, he covered it while I hadn't seen the film yet at time of recording. Um, however, I was able to get one of the limited black and white screenings here in New York City on Sunday, and... 
it's so hard for me right now to imagine it in color. You know, the black and white just really suits that noir genre. I truly, really enjoy this film. I think I have it, honestly, as, like, my number two best film of the year so far um, that I've watched in terms of production. Um, and, you know, I, and, and, you know, even if it doesn't look like it's going to make it a best picture at this point, who knows? It's been doing a lot of the Guild nominations. Um, in any case, you know, the production design, the character writing, the acting, um, you know, it's so, so meticulously put together as something you'd expect from Guillermo del Toro. You know, it's still be coming to Hulu and HBO Max next week, I believe, February 1st. So I recommend you go and check it out. Um, you know, I also recommend you check out the Director's Cut podcast from the DGA, where GDT talks about the behind-the-scenes process and, you know, philosophy of putting the film together, which was super enlightening. Definitely recommend 5 out of 5, especially if you can find that black-and-white version. Uh, with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. You know, you can suit my ideas for what else I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at zanel.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Find us too on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review or at the very least tell a friend. Any of that helps. Um, if you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon. Um, links to all of that will be in our show notes. Numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Intro and outro music from Kevin MacLeod. His stuff as in compotech.filmmusic.io. Editing production by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast, and remember, our watch goes on. Music